And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys had a fantastic Easter weekend with your families. Um, great show for you today. I was joined by my friend Kenny Cody. Always a great time talking to Kenny. Um, we covered a lot. We talked about the ongoing Twitter Elon Musk saga and how the Democrats are, are relying on censorship, uh, as it is probably their only chance of hanging on to power. Uh, we talked about how uh, Hispanic support for Joe Biden is falling apart and why that may be, uh, and a bunch of other stuff. I, I think you guys will enjoy it. Before I get to Kenny, guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you're an iTunes user. Please take a couple seconds to leave us a five-star rating and a good review. I really appreciate that. And if you like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. All right, without further ado, the great Kenny Cody. All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Kenny Cody. Kenny, happy Easter, my friend. How have you been? Happy Easter, brother. I hope you and your audience are doing good. I hope you all had a, had a great holiday with your families. Absolutely. I absolutely did. Um, a ton to get to, as always, man. Um, you know the drill here on this show. Um, the big news of the week, it, where we're going to start, is the ongoing Elon Musk Twitter saga. And let me tell you, brother, I'm here for this stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for it. For anybody who might be living in a cave or under a rock or something like that and missed what's going on, um, Elon Musk submitted uh, last week a cash offer um, to buy 100% of Twitter. Uh, for something like $43 billion, uh, he believes that uh, Twitter needs to go private in order to make the necessary changes. Um, he offered a, a 38% premium above the stock price at the time. So a very serious offer. Uh, a couple days later, the board enacted what's called a, a quote-unquote poison pill policy and are letting stockholders buy stock um, at a discount to dilute uh, Elon Musk's shares. Um so that's where we are. I don't know how this is going to end up. I don't know if Musk is going to be able to purchase Twitter. Uh, before we get further into it, uh, just what are your thoughts so far? Well, I think Musk is it, – it, it's kind of strange because even even sanity now is popular among independents and conservatives. I mean Musk isn't necessarily the beacon of conservatism. It isn't the beacon of sort of this Republican idea or conservative idea of what somebody should be. Um, he's just kind of an independent voice and a beacon for free speech, and that's really all it takes in the common era to be popular amongst conservatives and independents. I don't necessarily know if I would – I think the dude like supports Bernie Sanders and Andrew Yang and people like that, but I mean the fact that he is stepping up and offering to buy, you know, as the richest man in the world, offering to buy the biggest social media network there is in the world, kind of shows how pretty bad that Twitter has gotten, especially with all the terms of the board of directors, um, the new policies that they're taking uh, in terms of silencing free speech, censoring. I mean, even somebody who is as independent-minded and not nonpartisan as Musk is has kind of seen enough. So it's 
I hope it happens. Um, it doesn't seem like it's going to, just to be quite honest. I, don't, I, I think they're going to, you know, they've had the poison pill that they are going to try to enact next week. They've had uh, delays among their uh, bigger shareholders. I think I think that Musk is no longer the biggest shareholder. I think somebody um, from overseas bought it for like ten point seven percent. And some like 10. Saudi, isn't it some Saudi prince or something? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure if, that was, if it was the Saudi prince or if it was somebody or, or somebody else. I know, I know the Saudi prince is the one that spoke up against him as the as the lar- as, as one of the largest shareholders. Um, but it's kind of he's kind of hitting all of these bumps in the road and these these kind of halting barriers that's kind of getting in his way because nobody wants him to buy it. And Twitter is now kind of prioritizing. Uh, kind of prioritizing, you know, staying on the side of censoring and being beholden to governments and being beholden to people, you know, not beholden to the citizens, but beholden to governments who want to silence people's speech. And people can say all they want to about, well, this isn't the government silencing, so it's not against free speech. And to an extent, that's correct. But the fact that they're doing silencing on behalf of, of who is favorable amongst their ideology of government the people who are currently in office, they're doing they're either doing it on behalf of corporations or they're doing it on behalf of the government itself. So in turn, it kind of is against free speech because they're doing it on behalf of political ideology that they just agree with and who currently holds office. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously right. And, and another point, too, just to piggyback on what you just said, is that it's— it's hard for me to see how rejecting a bid. I mean, Twitter stock has been flat for the last decade since they went public. It's never really risen or fell too much. So I, I, I don't see how and I, I'm not I'm no expert on this and the, the legality of any of this. I'm, I'm no expert, but it's it's hard for me to see how rejecting a bid for 38 percent above market value is looking out for the best interests of your shareholders. That's, it's definitely not. So it's like okay. these people, they've moved past capitalism. I mean, they're, they're like post-capitalists. They care more about crushing us, you and I. I mean, they, they hate right. us so much that they don't even care Brody about their own profits Brody anymore. Which is what conservatisms and libertarians are hardly against. People, you know, all the time they, they hear about how bad capitalism is. And the only arguments that, you know, the socialists and the, le- and the left have against capitalism is the idea of the critiques of crony capitalism, which is exactly what Twitter's doing. And, and the, on behalf of what the left actually thinks how economics should work is that one corporation should control basically the entire beacon of social media online censoring and how they're the biggest free speech platform in the world. But even when they have been offered to make more money, they've been offered to, to their, be about to their shareholders on a bigger scale and their users on, on a, in a vast sort of majority agree with, with Musk that there should be some looser limits on who should be able to say what, and they're going against citizen approval or going against their shareholder, more likely their shareholder approval. They're they're going against people, how much money they can make potentially if they do sell it off to, to the richest man in the world who has ran so many successful companies. I mean, they're going against every value to sort of speak on behalf of the government and silence people who are, are speaking out against the current government. So yeah. it's, it, 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 but it's an example of crony capitalism. It really is an example of capitalism at large. So they're going against the idea of what capitalism is supposed to be for people who want to invest more, people who want to change, people who, who want corporations to succeed in a way that, that benefits the backs of the people and the ideologies and free speech of the people. They're kind of going against the ideas of what actual capitalism means. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're they're quite literally willing to, you know, to uh, to withhold billions of dollars from their shareholders in profits right. just so they can keep helping Democrats get elected. It's fascinating. And I mean, whatever happens here, 
Um, we'll see. I mean, Elon Musk said he has a plan B. I don't know if that means bringing in a, a team of investors alongside him. Rob. Um, Rob. I saw, I saw <laughs> Mark, Mark Cuban tweeted. He was like, man, if they... If he really wants to see people lose their minds, bring in Peter Thiel, right? right. Like an actual <laughs> that, yeah, that conservative billionaire, yeah. <laughs> he, he, Mark Cuban, and, and Musk, Mark Cuban, Thiel, you know, <laughs> kind of getting that as a team would, would drive people absolutely insane. But whatever happens here, I, I do think we owe Elon Musk a debt of gratitude for showing the world how terrified Democrats are of free speech. I mean, Democrats <laughs> and journalists alike lost their ever-loving minds. I mean, they, they were tweeting stuff like, this is worse than Hitler. Yep. Free speech threatens democracy. You had uh, Mika Brzezinski from uh, MSNBC said, uh, if people can can speak freely, how will journalists force them to think and vote how they want? I mean, right. Like, they, they, just, they said that was our job. And, and, and that, that job. It blows my mind because, <laughs> like I said, Musk isn't this guy. Isn't no. this go gung-ho conservative. I mean, like I said, the guy who supported like Andrew Yang, Bernie Sanders, like this guy, he's just anti-establishment more than he is no, anything just, else. It's not even that. It's just that he doesn't hate us. He's, right. not, he's not hateful. I mean, the left is so hateful right now. And he's a lefty. I mean, he he gets billions of right. dollars of subsidies from the federal government, taxpayer money mm-hmm. for all the, the Tesla, you know, EV stuff. You know, he's not like, he's not some libertarian. You know, no. you know what I mean? He's not like out just reading you know, Hoppe and Mises, and it's like, come on. Like this... I mean, Jack, Jack Dorsey's arguably more of a libertarian than Elon <laughs> Musk is. Yeah, didn't he tweet he's out, a... like, Anatomy of the State or something? Yes, yeah. yeah. Right after he left Twitter, he tweeted out, a, out an article of, 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 of Mises Institute of the Anatomy of the State by Murray Rothbard, and, like, that would be, that's my thing, is, like, why do these people hate Musk so much? Is because just because he's independent and he wants free speech? Because hate Musk because he, he doesn't uh, hate us, and that, that's all it is. Right. They, they have such a deep hatred for us that they hate everybody who, who doesn't hate us. And, like, the thing yeah. is, it, this really showed that, and we've known this since, you know, before the last presidential election, but the, the Democrats truly do rely on the ability to control the flow of information to get elected. It's the only way they can remain in power. They, they won the last presidential election because big tech deplatformed any information on the Hunter Biden laptop story. Right. And that won the election for Joe Biden. I mean, polls showed that enough Democrats, if they were exposed to that information, would not have voted for the man. Um, and they right. know that. So Democrats are counting on being able to use that authority um, to deplatform speech in perpetuity. It's the only chance they have to hold on to power. Right. It's just, it's just silence. That, like what if your policies, like if the Democrats' policies and positions are so good and they're so moral, you know, let's fight up for Ukraine. Let's make universal health care popular. Let's make sure that the border is open. Like if all these popular, this policy are so popular and they're the, they're the right moral position that people need to take on politics, then why are you do you have such low approval ratings? And why does one issue make you want to lose the election to Donald Trump? Like what 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 are you so scared? Of. And, that, and that's, that's been my question along with the Elon Musk situation is why are you so afraid for people to speak out? Like why are you so afraid for to, to criticize the government if the moral – I don't know, the moral positions that you're taking, if, whether it comes to like trans rights, whether it comes to immigration, whether it comes to health care. Like if you're so morally correct and this just should be the moral position that every the American voter should take, why are your policies and your positions so unpopular? Like if this is just the right moral code – that the Democrats want to prop up, then why are you so unpopular? And and that's the desire to silence speech. That's the desire to censor on free on free speech and on social media. Is they want a social media network to act on behalf of the government. And they're also afraid for any third party, you know, service like 
that truth social that Trump has come up with or anybody, anything else, they're scared as, of opposition and they're scared of people speaking out because they don't want you even with their morality question because to them – Politics is life. Politics is morals. Politics is religion. And once they give that up, they have nothing. So they want everybody to be to be, be guilt, moral tripped, you know, guilt tripped by, by the, the morality that the left takes to make people, Republicans and conservatives, feel bad about the positions they take. But once anybody else picks out against it and then when the majority is against their, their opinion opposition, then – Let's censor. Let's take Twitter. Let's make sure that nobody can buy them. Let's make sure that nobody that is for free speech. And even somebody who agrees mostly with us, we don't even want to give it a voice to the opposition. And that's right. what's scary about the left right now. Yeah. And I mean, they're obviously operating out of fear. I mean, they fear that if we're allowed to speak freely on the Internet, then Democrat, you know, Joe Biden has no chance of winning reelection. And Correct. honestly, their, their fears are are justified. <laughs> they, they really yeah. Are. And, yeah, because, because Biden's arguably the, the, the least popular incumbent since Jimmy Carter. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and even more so than Jimmy Carter at this point um, right. in his presidency. And, and we can let's talk about this this Quinnipiac poll that came out. I think it came out um, like last Wednesday or so, but I haven't had a chance to talk about it on the podcast yet. Um, it showed a bunch of interesting things. First, that Biden's approval rating is in the mid-30s, no surprise there. But also right. that young young people and Hispanics are just abandoning the Democratic Party. Right now, a larger percentage of white Americans support Biden than Hispanic Americans. That is bananas. Okay, okay. That is bonkers. I mean, is it, Hispanics are Republicans now. Okay. And there's a, there's a handful of reasons. I mean, there's a bunch of reasons for that, I think, and, and we're going to get into it in a second. But, like, what are your initial thoughts on the prospect of, I, I really do think, I, I'm not trying to, you know, blow one poll out of proportion here, but it's not just one poll. There's a lot of polls suggesting this. But what do you think of the prospect of an entirely new Republican majority forming that we never could have saw coming even five years ago? Well, I think everybody kind of behest at this entire idea of populism, right? Like, like when you hear populism, either the left freaks out or the right freaks out. The populism is just the devil, and it, this just shows that populism works. Okay, you, you don't want to take these positions like Bernie Sanders on economic populism, but when it comes to presenting your ideas and your ideas applying to different races of people, your ideas applying to different ages, applying to different classes. This is what happens. You get popular amongst people you never thought you'd get popular amongst, right? So look at Florida. Miami-Dade County, I think, went for Trump in 2020. Which is wild. And there were, there, were border, there were border counties in Texas right on the, on the Mexican border that Trump won. And so this idea of Hispanics you know, going for Trump now is not necessarily that surprising to me because traditionally, especially from, let's, let's just say, in South America or in the territory of the U.S., Puerto Ricans are traditionally conservative because of their Catholic values. Those who are from the Dominican Republic, those for who are from Brazil and other countries that are – or Venezuela in South America have been subject to communism, have been subject to authoritarianism by the government. Of course they want to come here and have a capitalistic government and a small government. Oh, yeah. I mean not to mention Florida's – not, 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 not to mention Florida's Cuban population. Right. Like the, it's like they vote something like 80, 85 percent Republican. Yeah, it's like right. the, that most heavily the Republican voting bloc in the entire country. Right. I mean, the, 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 I mean, the Democrat Party are, 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 is currently, you know, the ideology that they have in the far left and the movement started by Bernie Sanders, who pretty much idolized Fidel Castro. Right. Because so that's that's the modern idea of the Democrat Party is growing government. So the turn of 
kind of Republican politics towards a Hispanic population is sort of surprising just based on numbers. But when you look at the breakdown of those like from different countries, those who, you know, the policies that we have taken and then the idea of populism, it's sort of understandable because of also what's happening in South America right now um, with Maduro, you know, being criticized in Venezuela with the sort of capitalistic, I forget it, Balansaro, I think, in Brazil um, or one of those countries. I'm not sure. He, he, he was a popular right wing populist conservative that's running in South America. When you see those people kind of grow, kind of grow, right? When you see those people who have seen the examples of what happens when big governments get authoritarian mindsets, um, it's kind of understandable. I, but I think it's. I think it's all problem. even. I mean, you're, you're totally right about that. I, I I completely agree. But I think it's even more basic than that. And I think the Democrats have become so lazy. And I I, I use this example all the time that the Democrats are like the the rich boxer. Who like you know was one of was like an all like imagine if Floyd Mayweather like stopped training hard when he got rich, you know what I mean? And there's like examples of that in the past, like in boxing, like some guy gets rich and then just stops training hard. His camp is full of a bunch of yes men, and that's the press, right? The press never challenge democratic uh, politicians so they get lazy they don't know how to get in there and then they get in the title fight they get knocked out right, right. and i think that that's that's how democrats are because they're never challenged by the media and i think there's four things it's like they, they've completely taken hispanic americans for granted i mean i mean obviously they're right about they always that. have well in the same, in the same way that african-americans have been take, taken for oh, granted yeah. and even those numbers like i saw the other day um we were, we were talking about Ronda sanders before we came on you know, Ron DeSantis won 18% of black women in, in, in Florida in, in yeah. 2020, yeah. mostly because of school choice and things like that. I mean, when you – I think the people are starting to realize that race baiting and this idea of the anti-Donald Trump movement because Donald Trump was a polarizing figure, this isn't – that isn't working. They could have ran on that in 2020, and they, they could have ran on, the, on these ideas of COVID failing or, or whatever. But now that COVID is no longer an is, any issue in terms of voting because it was the number one issue in exit poll and polling period in 2020 um and people don't realize like when you say that you know, this is trump's fault or whatever or that was trump's fault or whatever that, that's what the democrats are running on usually just trump pretty much it's it sucks for trump because he would have been blamed no matter what and any incumbent would have been blamed no matter what it's nothing that he did or nothing that even technically biden has has done besides being authoritarian for mandates um, there's nothing he could have done to stop what happened, but he was going to be blamed no matter what. So this so historical polling and historical issue polling was going to work against Trump regardless of what he did. So after that happened, the Democrats didn't learn their lesson. They didn't campaign on new issues. If, if anything, they expanded on the issues people would have voted against with authoritarian mandates, lockdowns, and things like that. And now they have nothing to work with. So what happens now? Like, what it, like if, if I ask a Democrat – what have you done? What has Biden done? The only thing that he that he can even say they can even say is something like he's I think he signed a criminal justice bill, which Trump did as well. And then the Afghanistan withdrawal, which the Afghanistan withdrawal, even though I support troops being withdrawn from Afghanistan, was done so poorly and so uh, poorly planned out. That's one of the, actually one of the blots on his presidency, yeah. which is surprising because that's something that was sort of had bipartisan support, but it was done so poorly that now it's looked at as one of the blights of his presidency on both sides of the aisle. So yeah, well, I mean that that'll happen when you get a bunch really of people. Done? Yeah, I mean that'll happen when you get a bunch of people killed for absolutely no reason. <laughs> you know, right. it's, but like I it, the thing is with the the Hispanic vote. It's like it's fascinating to me because 
it's just common sense. Like I, I've worked on a bunch of campaigns. I don't know how much campaign work you've done, Kenny, but like, it's it's just like basic political strategy, right. and they're just I, I don't know I don't know how they're they're messing up their own voters. They're they're misjudging their own voters this badly. I mean, it's like Hispanic Americans don't. You know, polling data suggests that most Hispanic Americans don't support op- open borders, and the right. Biden regime is getting rid of Title 42, and they've let millions of illegal aliens cross the border unchecked. To be honest, right. side note, it's kind of racist that Democrats just assume Hispanics don't want national sovereignty. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And then second, and there's there's four points, I think. And, and number two is that inflation hurts the middle class more than anybody else, and the vast majority of Hispanic Americans are middle class. Third, the trans propaganda nonsense. I mean, like, by, by on average, Hispanics have more children than white or black Americans, and Hispanics are overwhelmingly Catholic. Like, they don't want Democrats in schools turning their kids trans, okay? Right. Like, they're, they're not down right. with the force-feeding of LGBTQ propaganda to four-year-olds. And then fourth, right. Texas and Florida have have the highest Hispanic populations anywhere in the country. Both of those states are run by Republicans, and citizens exactly. of Florida and Texas are darn glad that they live there and not somewhere run by Democrats. <laughs> so it's like, it's just shocking that, that the DNC has just misjudged Hispanic voters this badly. I couldn't be more thrilled. <laughs> to be honest. I couldn't be more thrilled that yeah. they, they have continued to go into their own ways. Um, but, you know, as I, as I said earlier, you know, like you said, with the Catholic populations and, the, you know, the experience of a lot of these Hispanics from authoritarian governments such as in Venezuela, Brazil and things like that. You know, it's really strange how they haven't even tried to, like, get, stick a hand out. Like, you know, they'll just tell, they'll, they, they would rather tell them that you were just wrong about this ideology. You were just wrong about trans promotion. You were just wrong about the border. Like, they would rather tell them that than, <laughs> than just say, well, we have to do this at least. We have to at least allow, you know, DACA. We have to at least allow, you know, migrant workers on visas and things like that. Like, they won't even allow, they, that, that's not even the conversation. The conversation should be, well, you know, we, we talk about the border all the time. We should just have an open border. We shouldn't even have a border at all. Like that, that automatically goes to their argument whenever they hear anything about immigration. When it ha- comes to socialism, they hear about they they always they, they don't ever defend. Notice this too. They don't ever defend socialism. They never defend about government mandates. They never defend about growing the government. It's always what's wrong with capitalism, or it's always what's wrong with corporations, or it's always what's wrong with big business. That's, it's never about defending us expanding government control. That's never what this is about. That's never what is is the ideology of, you know, this is why I support socialism. No, it, let, let's talk about, you know, what was wrong with like corporations controlling politicians and blah blah blah. Like that's their argument. That's it's never that my system of government or my ideology of government is the right way to do things. It's never that. It's always like what's wrong with the other side, and that's where they've lost everyone. Is if you take that opposition, or if you if you kind of look at the conservative viewpoint or even kind of glance over there, you're automatically a racist, you're automatically a transphobe, you're automatically, you know, cucking on behalf of corporations. Like that is the advocacy, and that's the way that they have politics, and that's why they've lost Hispanics. That's why they've lost such a, a vast majority of rural areas. They've lost urban areas. That's why they're staying at 34% right now, mainly. Yeah, yeah, man. And uh, what, what, another great thing, too, um, is that we can count on our friends on the left 
refusing to take stock of why they're <laughs> losing support. Like I said, I hope they keep doing they it. Can't. Oh, they can't. They, yeah, they, they cannot. I hope people don't listen to this podcast and say <laughs> and take up what we're saying for advice because I want I want them to keep doing exactly what they're doing right now. No, they will. Uh, John Harwood from CNN. He wrote a piece. It came out yesterday. I don't know why he's running, you know, doing DNC propaganda on Easter of all days, but he is, you know, that's right. what he does. And it was like, I forget what the, I don't have the headline in front of me, but it was something along the lines of like, Biden's facing all these problems and none of them are his fault. <laughs> it's like, yep, like that's their strategy. Their strategy is just like, nope, dear leader cannot fail. He can only be failed. You know right. what I mean? And, and it's like, that's, that's their strategy. Like this, this guy is who you're gonna, who you're yeah. gonna, you know, tweet about, write articles about, and defend to the very end. Yeah, him, like th- th- this guy who who is just, I mean, my grandfather went out and killed a turkey by him by himself in a tent. He is 85 years old, and he is far more that that is a far more incredible feat than anything Joe Biden has done. Does a president in his age? He's and my grandpa's 85. Like I'm yeah, far whoever more. Whoever doesn't understand that needs to go turkey hunting. Our turkey season starts on Saturday. <laughs> Day, and it is hard, man. It's way, it's way easier to shoot a deer than it is a turkey. Let me tell you. Well, yeah, oh, absolutely. And the fact that he went out and did, and did that by him, by himself at 85 years old is is a far more, you know, accomplishable, far more appreciated and far more underrated feat and, and impressive feat than anything Joe Biden has done with president being led around by the arm. Like that's how bad this kind of stuff is. Like this guy is, they're having, and maybe that is why. Maybe that is why the approval ratings are so bad is because the president himself came in because I mean, Trump or, you know, just criticize him or whatever. But by, by God, he's going to get up there at the press conference and defend what he's done. You know what I'm for, saying? For like he's going to get up there for two and, and a half hours. <laughs> right. For two, <laughs> for two and a half hours and annihilating reporters or whatever. But you know what he thinks and you know why he did it. You know, it, 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 <laughs> there, there, you. there is no question left. There's he, he will answer every question in detail. And what, what like you said, we'll go on for two and a half hours if he has to um but but biden has these you know written up speeches and written up answers and nothing is to elaborate on and that's why these reporters and these people who are on the left have to defend him all the time is because he's not the one doing that like i said i mean you can trust but anybody, anybody on the on the left and and independents can and even on the right can criticize Trump all they want to. But the reason that we didn't have to defend everything that Trump did is because he did it himself and because he vocalized all of his positions. And we're not having that with this guy. So that's why they have to to write articles and they have to defend this guy because he can't do it himself. And neither can his administration. Yeah, every every article, every headline, every morning from the corporate press is. What Biden really meant was that, I mean, he like he said, right. <laughs> he called for assassinating Vladimir Putin on live TV. Okay, what? like you right. just can't, like, like, you like, can't like, accidentally, <laughs> yeah, dude, like he's going to accidentally just talk us into World War Three. I mean, just like dementia will cause World War, you know, like you just can't, dude, you just can't it's, have it's it. It's unbelievable. Like, I know that's not a topic, but but isn't that the most unbelievable shift in terms of, to me, it is the most important because it's great. The most important policy shift in American history, potentially, <laughs> is that the Republicans, uh, who used to be for the Iraqi war, used to be for any interventionist policy they can get, have now made the Democrats go interventionist. And now the Republicans are the anti-war party. There was a, there was a poll done by Rasmussen about approval rating into, into going in and helping in the Ukrainian war. And 51 percent of Democrats were for it, and only 49 percent of Republicans were for it. 
Isn't yeah. that, that that is the most unbe? If you look in the past ten years, pol- policy shift wise, whether it's the re- repeal of the authorization of military force act of two thousand and two, or any other interventionist position, the turn from for Republicans going from being you know the interventionist neocon, let's get involved in every single war that we can, let's make sure that we are involved in every interventionist policy we can be a part of. The fact that, that they have became the anti-war party, and Democrats have become the pro-war party because of of a country such as Ukraine, just because it's anti-Russia is the most incredible policy shift and the most important policy shift to me in, in the last five or 10 years of American politics. Absolutely, man. And I'll end here. I know we, I have to let you go. You have a hard out here in a couple minutes. And uh, full disclosure, I had some technical difficulties uh, here on my end. So we got a little bit late of a start. I wish I could keep you longer. But, you know, like with, with the Republicans turning away from from, uh, you know, interventionism in, in, in 1976, when Reagan ran for president and lost, Nobody would have predicted that, you know, a decade later, his ideology would have shaped, reshaped the Republican Party. And same thing with Ron Paul in 2008, right. 2012. Like, exactly. after he lost those races, who would have thought that um, that his way of thinking could transform the Republican Party? And I'm still holding out hope that that can happen. But, my brother, we need to have you back on here soon. We can do a little bit longer show next time. Uh, Absolutely. Before I let you go, where can everybody follow you online, read your stuff, keep in touch, and all that good stuff? Uh, you can find, follow me online at uh, my Twitter is at Katie Cody TN. Um, you can find me on Instagram and uh, Facebook by the same name, Kenny Cody. Uh, if you want to look at any of my articles, I've got articles on townhall.com, on newsmax.com, um, and a couple other websites, Daily Wire, Washington Examiner, a couple other different ones. Uh, just type my type in Kenny Cody article on Google. You'll probably find some of my stuff. Um, but I appreciate you having me on, man. If you need anything else, holler at me, and I hope your audience has a blessed week. You got it, brother. Everybody follow Kenny. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks.